This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. Today we're talking to Emmelinda McLean. She was my latest sex ed teacher. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yes, I'm so happy to have you here. Emmelinda, I found going on a little rabbit trail, I found a group or organization online called OWL. Is it considered an organization? Um, Our Whole Lives, OWL, is the title of a series of sex education curricula that were jointly developed by two religious organizations that wanted to create a values-based comprehensive sex ed program for all ages. And that's the program that I uh, went through as a middle schooler and got trained to teach as an adult and have created a sex ed nonprofit based on uh, we are more than sex ed, and we're here in Los Angeles, and we bring sex ed programming to middle and high school students. If you guys can imagine, I'm very excited that OWL exists, that Emelinda is doing the work that she does, and this program is amazing. I love it so much, and I didn't realize until this moment that you actually were exposed to it in middle school, and this is how you were raised in sex ed. Could you have known or did you know that sex ed was so horrible in America? Or did you think everyone had the privilege of like the OWL curriculum? I definitely did not appreciate as a teenager how high quality the education that I got was. Yeah. I did come to realize that I was a lot of my peers go to resource for quality information when they didn't I have another bet. source. Yeah. Um, the, the OWL curriculum was first developed in the 90s, and it was based on an older curriculum developed in the 70s. Um, and so I was one of the first generation of teenagers to go through the program at my church, actually, the church that I grew up in. Um, it was months-long Sunday nights in the church basement, uh, <laughs> and it was a ton of fun. Uh, we learned so much. It was completely guilt and shame-free. It was really about learning how to connect to other people better and make responsible decisions about your body and your health and your relationships. 
Anyone out there, just raise your hand if you are just full of envy that that, like, I'm so jealous because I'm like, I was also in a church basement getting sex education, but it was accompanied by shame and guilt and fear and, you know, had terrible repercussions for so millions of us. And I think the, the timing that you're talking about is fascinating as well, because the 90s is also the time when true love waits had its big, like, huge um, statement. They went on the White House lawn and all pledged their virginity. And then, you know, Joshua Harris's True Love Waits book came out. So, like, 90s was also this new emergence of purity culture and a whole new set of anxiety and rules for us to follow. So I wonder how both were, like, thriving or existing at the same time. Was your church aware that this was happening in other communities or other faith practices? I think that that was a huge part of the motivation for the two religious groups that created the Our Whole Lives curriculum Mm. um, to have that religious and values-based voice uh, in the sex ed conversation. Um, The two organizations were the Unitarian Universalist Church and the United Church of Christ. Um, So both had very progressive views on sex and sexuality and that our bodies are holy and gifts from God. And that uh, everybody deserves to have information about taking care of their health and uh, the respect of being able to make their own decisions uh, and have access to resources to do what they need to do for themselves. I love it so much. And I definitely, I mean, I personally want to advocate for better sex education nationwide in general, because it's not just in religious communities where we're lacking. Um, how many states did you said it's actually the law to do comprehensive sex education? I sure wish I remembered off the top of my head. And I feel like it's like four states or something like that where it has more to be. More and more states are passing comprehensive sex ed laws. Thank God. Uh, unfortunately, there are also legislative attempts to undermine, restrict, or roll back um, young people's access to education. I want to say something that I think is really cool and unique about the Our Whole Lives curriculum and the way that they structured it when it was written. Uh, The curriculum itself has no religious content or teaching whatsoever. So the idea that your body is a gift from God, that sexuality is holy, that lovemaking can be a transcendent, moving spiritual experience, those are personal values that many people hold, but that's not in the curriculum the way that my company now teaches it in public schools. Um, the faith-based conversations are part of a supplemental book. So you can actually buy the Sexuality and Our Faith supplement. I got it. <laughs> if you would like to have those religious teachings as a part of a sex ed curriculum that you might offer in a church basement, but uh, it can also be taught Um, with purely secular values. So the idea of health, responsibility, respect for other people, um, those are foundational to the program, but um, theological teachings are not. Right. So this brings up two questions for me. One is, um, or maybe not exactly a question, but just the concept that People can have or hold moralities and principles and good values without being religious, without being Christian, without acknowledging that Jesus exists. You know, I guess the question is, is that true that people can have value for other people and, you know, move through the world without harming people in their sexuality or harming themselves without 
having a Jesus component to it. Why, yes. <laughs> Many people have strong senses of values that do not include an idea of Jesus as Savior or even commandments from God about values and morality. Um, I personally do believe in a higher power, and it gives me joy and peace to know that I'm making decisions and living out my values in a way that I believe God wants me to. But I know many people who don't believe in the idea of any higher power, but do recognize that harming other people is wrong. Right, yeah. And I fully believe that you can understand that doing hurt to another person is wrong without needing to believe in any other spiritual component besides people have feelings. Yeah. So obviously I did that as like a little coaxing <laughs> question because that is something that I've heard a lot and I've gotten pushback a lot from people of just, you know, if you lost that religious component just in life in general, that people would have no moral compass to lean on. And I think a lot of parents or people in faith practices fear taking out that component or letting their child learn from a secular standpoint, you know, with fear that they would lose all of morality. And it's like, well, now you can just do whatever and sleep with whoever etc. Um, so the second follow-up question is like, have you gotten pushback from parents on that? Have you heard similar arguments? So when we talk to parents about teaching their kids sex ed, we do hear a lot of uh, fears and concerns. And we understand it's a scary thing for a lot of parents. And it's scary and even traumatic for a lot of people who may have a history of trauma or abuse. Um, the thing that we want to be sure parents realize is that there's a really wide scope of values that people can hold related to the wide range of topics that connect to sex and sexuality. Um, we can't tell people what is right and wrong in every situation because that's really subjective. Mm -hmm. um, there are exactly four core values that the Our Whole Lives program is based on because it's actually not possible to teach sex ed in a way that is completely values-free. Uh, you make assumptions and decisions about what you're prioritizing in what you decide to teach and how you teach it. So the values that are baked into the curriculum that More Than Sex Ed brings into classrooms are self-worth, Every student, every person has the right to feel good about themselves and to know that they have value and worth and dignity. Mm. Um, the second one is sexual health. Everyone has a right to the knowledge and the tools and the resources to take good care of their body, um, to take care of their health. The third one's responsibility. Everyone has the right and the responsibility to respect their fellow human beings and to make their own choices and to make them the best they can. And the last one is justice and inclusivity. Mm. All people are equally deserving of respect. And I believe that God wants us to build a society where we include as many people as possible. Yeah, and it's hard to imagine that any of those four principles would be brought up for any controversy. But sex ed is very controversial in America. Do you... Like, what are the, some of the fears that you've heard from parents specifically or how might you explain to someone why this is triggering for parents or why they would keep their child away from this kind of education? I think that 
there are a lot of fears sometimes that talking about sexual uh, behaviors and activities encourages experimentation. And we can reassure parents that there's a ton of research showing that, in fact, the opposite is true. Um, that when you give young people information about the risks associated with sex and the responsibilities that go along with it, it sends the message that this is something really serious that you want to think carefully about before you make your decisions. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, of course, we get in the topic of pornography because we're living in a day and age that's unlike any other, which is this full access to any sex act you could possibly imagine just with the click. Yeah. So the idea that your child would be curious about anything and then there's no adult to tell them anything about it, um, they can find it on the internet and they're going to find it in the gangbang version of it, which is terrifying. Yeah. I wish more parents would become terrified of that possibility versus just the possibility of you educating them about sex in general unfortunately more and more young people's first exposure to sexual behaviors is through really graphic pornographic images um, and they are completely devoid of any context of mm. loving caring mutually respectful mutually supportive partnerships yeah, let alone, I've never seen a porn where someone put on a condom. There's no conversation before or after. Also, I, it's so horrifying to me that the front page of Pornhub is really violence. A lot of, like, female submission, a lot of, you know, gaping holes and really, like, disturbing images for me as an adult that is sexually active. Um, and I keep telling this story again and again of my friend's 8-year-old son who Googled boobs and Pornhub came up immediately, and then she walked in, and him and his eight-year-old friend were watching a gangbang scene. So that's, like, just a story from my tr true life, from a friend of mine. And even when we were – oh, well, to do a little backstory, I was so fascinated by the OWL program that I reached Emelinda, and I got a wonderful education on the curriculum from her herself. And um, it was so fun and amazing. But there was also a woman – in our class, who worked at Planned Parenthood for a long time, and her child at a young age had gotten exposed to some pornography, and she started crying in class when she brought it up. So it, I just, I mean, now I'm a mom, but, like, I didn't realize how impactful that would be to realize your child's been exposed to something like that. A lot of parents have very valid fears around when their child might be exposed to sexual content for the first time. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the internet and internet-capable devices in the hands of younger and younger kids mean that parents have less control unless they decide that they're going to get there first. And that's what I really want parents to know is that if you are willing to start the conversation sooner, you have a better chance of ensuring that you get to be the first person to give your child the messages that you want them to have mm. about healthy, loving relationships. I don't know if I'll be articulating this properly, but I remember you saying something along the lines of that studies were showing that when you give children like yes or no's or you tell them you can't do this, can't do this, it is far less impactful 
than if you were to instill values in them. If you were to say, this is a value that I hold, that even if it was as extreme as I, I would choose to save myself from marriage, or I did, or I didn't choose to save myself from marriage, and I regretted it for the following reasons, and you just instill those thoughts and values and prompt your child to like come to their own conclusions and do what's like healthy and right for them, that that is more impactful and has a lasting um, impression on them versus saying, don't have sex until you're married. Yeah, the research does show that the more parents talk to their kids about their values, the more likely those kids are to reflect those values later in life. Mm. It's not a perfect correlation, but yeah. it increases And thank the God, because sometimes <laughs> parents' values are a little wonky. Every young person is their own human. Yeah. No one belongs to their parents, and we mm. all have the right and the responsibility to decide on our own values. Mm. But... Yeah, my encouragement to parents is use I statements and talk honestly with your kids about what you believe to be right and why. Uh, the teenage brain actually begins to devalue messages from adults like you should or you should not coming from a parent. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's a wonderful developmental marker that <laughs> says that they are gaining the ability to think things through for themselves and make their own decisions, which is a necessary skill for adulthood. Right. But if parents send the message that I don't trust you to make this decision for yourself, that can undermine a teenager's confidence in their own decision-making capacity as they're learning how to do that. And that's a really critical skill for having an adult sex life. Yeah, totally. Um, you're making me think, too, of just how much parents would have to confront their own selves and their own fears to actually have the ability to impart any sex ed to their children. Absolutely. Yeah. Having... A conversation about sex uh, and any kind of sexuality, I think this is true for, but especially for parents of LGBTQ youth, mm. there is a lot of fear and it's not unfounded. Many people have really traumatic and painful memories of sexual experiences mm. and many people are aware of or have experienced uh, harassment and violence against LGBTQ people. Um, parents are scared for their kids. Yeah. They don't want their children to suffer. So then their children are sometimes suffering at their own hands because, you know, of whatever their own value systems or even them making that fear or turning that fear into um, a set of rules to protect them. Like you cannot live in this way or be this way or love who you love because I'm afraid that something bad will happen to you, even if that's not exactly the statement that comes out of their mouth. It's just the horror by itself. Yeah, I think it's really heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, but this is also obviously very controversial in evangelical Christian circles because your fourth value is this inclusivity. And in the church that you were brought up in, that was never an issue, right? That LGBTQ was always affirmed. In the, the minister of, of my church was a lesbian. So that answers that question, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, so that um, is complicated in itself. I wonder if you have been exposed to any parents that felt strongly anti-LGBTQ or it was against their own principles and how you addressed the fact that you would just be teaching that that was okay anyway. 
I understand that people have very strong feelings about this, and the scientific reality is that gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender and all of the rest of the alphabet rainbow, those people exist. They are a part of our community. They have been a part of the human race since ancient times mm -hmm. in every culture on every continent. We know that these people exist. Full stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and people have the right to have whatever beliefs or feelings about that that they may hold. And I recognize that for someone who grew up with a very clear worldview that there are only straight cisgender people in the world, the cognitive dissonance around being told that this thing you believed about all the people in the world actually isn't true is really difficult. Yeah. I can empathize with that challenge, mm -hmm. but it is not acceptable to discriminate against people who are real and exist. Right. That's fair. <laughs> Very fair. And I, I mean, when I was in class, I kept raising my hand about this issue specifically because I'm like, okay, if I, I have fantasies or you know, genuine goals of creating a curriculum that I could maybe take to churches that would be very heavily based on Al and what I've learned from that program. And, you know, it's hard to imagine how you would confront that specific topic because I think the majority of evangelicals 100% believe and acknowledge that LGBTQ people exist, just a matter of whether or not it is moral to affirm them in that existence. So... And what we know is that when, <coughs> excuse me, when people's identities are not affirmed or accepted, when someone gets the message that your community does not accept who you are, mm -hmm. uh, or your family does not accept who you are, or who you love, that has serious health consequences for people. The rate of suicide among members of the LGBTQ community and especially LGBTQ teens is a heartbreaking, horrifying tragedy. Yeah. Well, anyway, we don't have to harp on that topic forever because I have plenty of videos that I've put out on God is Gray that talk about affirming LGBTQ people from a Christian, biblically-based stance. So if anyone's really curious, you can dive into those videos. There's also amazing books, One Coin Found, um, Undivided, Pete N's books on theology. They can all give you more insight into why it is very possible that you are wrong on this issue and that God actually does affirm people as he made them. Um, speaking of people as they're made, I think one of the most fascinating things that's come up for me as someone that's in her 30s is the concept of non-binary. It's been challenging and I'll just like outrightly admit that as a girl that is cisgendered straight coming from evangelicalism small town primarily white into a landscape of people 10 15 years younger than me saying I can be whatever I truly feel that I am and that there's a range of pronouns that I want to be called and you know like it's just it's been fascinating really Actually, the other day I just heard someone say the most respectful thing 
um, or the most respectful way to respond to someone when you don't understand or when it brings any fear in you is to not say, I don't agree with that or that makes me freaked out, but just to be like, that's fascinating. Can you tell me more about that? Because I was definitely gritting my teeth at certain times because I'm like, I don't understand this. Like, someone please explain this to me. And just reframing it to be like, I don't understand this. That is fascinating. Um, just leaves you so much more open to understand, empathize, and get into someone else's head about what they're experiencing in the world. And I peeked in on a class you were teaching in Topanga Canyon, and it was perfect because I happened to come when you had nine non-binary guests. I was like, great, because this is the thing I'm having a lot of difficulty wrapping my brain around. (laughs) So what are some of the most challenging hurdles you're seeing in, in this aspect of the education? Also, I'm curious if this was an aspect that was presented to you all the way back in the 90s or if this is kind of newish to you as well. Uh, the Our Whole Lives curriculum, as it was first rolled out in the 90s, did have a lot more gender binary language. Mm-hmm. And that's something that has evolved in just the last couple of decades in sex ed. Um, and a huge part of that is just thanks to the internet. There are a lot of people who have widely different experiences of gender, but may have never had a conversation with anyone else who had the same experience. Mm -hmm. And in the last couple of decades, the internet has allowed for this explosion of people finding that there are lots of folks who share their identities and their experiences of gender and sexuality. Uh, and they have formed communities and created new labels and terminologies online. Uh, And I think that's beautiful. Um, I know a lot of teenagers who are choosing to unsubscribe from gender, as one person I know put it. (laughs) Um, And again, we know that, that there have been cultures all over the world, all throughout time, that have recognized more than just men and women. Uh, and and recognized and even celebrated people of third or other genders. Yeah, I think I love that you're bringing up just the truth that this is not new. It just feels new because people are finding themselves. The internet is connecting people in this brand new way. And that doesn't mean that society is crumbling to a a degree that we've never seen before because that's the narrative that a lot of churches take on. I've seen messages at Bethel Church in particular that are just like, see, we opened the floodgates. We allow LGBTQ people to marry and now look what we've done. We've got kids calling themselves unicorns and, you know, they just are not getting that this is a tale as old as time. That's even biblically sound, like Solomon says, There's nothing new under the sun and gender identity and all of this, quote, confusion has been around forever and ever. Do you know the specific cultures? Because I don't. I know there's specific. PBS.org has an awesome interactive (laughs) map. Uh, And I have it on my Pinterest board. If you look up more than sex ed on Pinterest or Google PBS interactive map, gender diverse cultures. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah, Um, because like you said, there's some that just fully celebrate the idea of third gender. Many indigenous cultures. Mm. Um, There are a lot of indigenous cultures that recognized multiple genders. uh, And uh, in many ways, it was colonial imperialism and the spread of white Western culture that squashed out or attempted to uh, erase 
sexual practices and cultural attitudes towards sex and gender that were not uh, in line with Christian teachings. Yeah. Why do you think the binary is so important to some people? A lot of people find it satisfying to think in either or, black and white. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many things, as we know, are in fact gray. Gray. That was really sorry. I think that the human brain wants to categorize things in as few buckets as possible. Uh, And I think that choosing to be open to a wider spectrum of possibilities and to both and thinking instead of either or thinking leaves us open to more of the minute and grand beauty of God's creation. I completely agree. I completely agree. It really makes much less sense the binary than anything else. Because if you look at the kaleidoscope of everything, of creation, of colors, of the animal kingdom, the way animals have sex and express their sexuality, it's very rarely, if ever. I mean, are there any animals that are just strictly heterosexual? I feel like a lot of them are just all over the place. I I know that there are hundreds of species that have been documented exhibiting same-sex sexual practices. Mm -hmm. Uh, I read one place that in every species where sexual behavior has ever been studied, there are at least a few. That's what I would think. That are pretty gay. (laughs) Pretty gay, yeah. (laughs) Um, Or at least exhibit same-sex behavior. Attitudes, (laughs) uh, attraction, and identity and behavior are different components of experience. Well, thank you. You just uh, backpedaling on that also reminds me to how important do you think it is to respect people's pronouns, for example, and be, you know, there's always been such a pushback against political correctness. I definitely feel that. I've always felt that like it is annoying to me that it's really hard to make a joke or it's hard to laugh at a joke because I'm so willing to just prod and and tease the things that are messed up in society. I think it's a beautiful way to acknowledge when something is a disaster. But, um, you know, so how important do you think it is to honor political correctness in this landscape of pronouns and gender and the way we talk about sex and sexuality? I don't use the term politically correct uh, when I'm talking about preferred language. Uh, because it is a term that's really weaponized. Yeah. Uh, and it's often not used by people who are asking for a language change. It's used by people who are pushing back against that request. Right. Um, the, the question to me is, who is being harmed? We know that someone who's trans being misgendered, meaning that someone uses the wrong pronouns... Um, that that is actively harmful. It is a microaggression uh, similar to what people of color experience uh, with the tiny slights day in and day out that build up um, the compounded experience of being disrespected in a tiny way every single day does it it takes a toll Mm -hmm. Um, and that hurts people. It doesn't hurt me to say she, sorry, they. That took 
a second yeah. of my time and it did not cost me anything to use the right pronouns. And now I know that they, whoever they are, got the message that I want to call you what you want to be called because your feelings matter to me. Mm-hmm. My value system is that I want to respect other people's feelings and show them that they matter. Yeah. And I just, I wish there was just more love and care um, in the larger conversations, especially online and the way people just flippantly talk about things because you're talking about people's feelings and I could see on the other side people yelling about you being a snowflake, talking about people's feelings and people can't handle anything. But like even the other day I heard a sweet story from a guy friend of mine who is straight and not fully effeminate but you know has is not super masculine guy and he was telling me that all throughout elementary school and middle school everyone was calling him the f word constantly and telling him he was gay and his inner thoughts were like wait do they know something that I don't know yet are they all realizing that I'm gay before I realize that I'm gay and you know if you could just break it down to that just identifying someone as something that they are not constantly over and over again, whether that be calling a straight person gay, calling a trans person by the wrong pronoun is just, it's just like, don't be a dick. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, why are you, it has nothing to do with someone being a snowflake or not being able to handle the, you know, life or whatever. It's just like, just like stay in your own lane. And if someone tells you they're not this or they are this, like, just have a little respect for your fellow mankind, womankind, everyone kind. <laughs> I, I tell students in my classes sometimes that I can't tell you that you have to care about other people. Mm. Everyone has the right and the responsibility to decide for themselves whose feelings matter to you. Mm. Who do you care about not hurting? I believe that my values, both secular and religious, teach me that I should try real hard to care about everybody yeah I think that's what Jesus said something along those lines something like that yeah and devil's advocate I mean there's a lot of social justice warrior stuff that I find mind-numbingly annoying and if my Alexa is recording all my conversations with my partner I would probably get like an expose on some of the things that I say because I do have strong reactions to certain things that drive me up a wall I agree that political correctness is becoming a very outdated term and it's kind of morphing into something different, but there is, there's a lot of policing going on. And then, you know, I think people have a hard time determining what is policing your language and not allowing you to be free to to express yourself versus someone is genuinely in pain because of something that you said or, or wouldn't say, you know? I don't know. But at the end of the day, I guess the easiest way is to err on the side of Jesus and just decide, okay, even this is annoying to call someone they when they're presenting fully female and I don't understand why they're a they. It's like, well, whatever. Just do it. Just in case. And uh, (laughs) I think that education is a really critical part of it because when we know better, we can understand more easily why something matters. Uh, I love the expression, fems can be thems. 
uh, and it's it's an opportunity to talk about the difference between gender identity and gender expression. Get into that. So uh, <laughs> someone may identify as any number of genders, uh, man, woman, somewhere in between, somewhere outside of something fluid that maybe changes from day to day. Gender expression is how that person would choose to show the rest of the world their gender through the clothing they wear, hair, makeup, nails, uh, hobbies, likes, dislikes, uh, all that kind of stuff. Vocal mannerisms, uh, physical mannerisms. Um, that's our expression. And someone may identify as one gender, but for whatever theatrical, artistic, playful, sexy, creative purposes, choose to express uh, different types of gender expression and how we code gender based on clothing is a whole fascinating college level sexuality studies class <laughs> yeah I mean even you talking about it too it's just it's also so complicated because I'm like well why are things gendered anyway sure a love of sports is masculine a love of the ballet is feminine and it's like is it even really aren't we just all human beings enjoying different things <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I think I found I, you know, this isn't something that I even know that I should admit or whatever, but on the journey of discovery, and I guess I'm, I would like to admit this because I want everyone to feel free to know that you don't have to wrap your head around it immediately. You're allowed to have questions. You maybe shouldn't impose those questions on people that don't want to talk about it, that are like ad nauseum having to talk about it. But, you know, in the privacy or in, you know, respect with someone that has already given you permission to have that kind of conversation with them, um, there are a lot of people that are open and educating and YouTube resources you could look at of people having these experiences if you want to wrap your head around it. I, I do actually want to second what you said because I think it's incredibly important. The thing that you said about not asking the one transgender person you know to explain all mm. of gender to you. Right. Uh, they do enough work just getting around in the world yeah. and getting by. You have Google. <laughs> Educate yourself. Yeah. And why do you think that's important? A lot of people with minority and marginalized identities get put on the spot to speak for everyone who shares their identity, and that's really intimidating. It's not fair. Um, it can make them vulnerable to attacks or retaliation sometimes. Yeah. Um, and it, it reinforces this idea that they are a curiosity and that people of the majority have every right to get nosy about who they are. And yeah, um, huge flag. Do not ask someone what genitalia they have under any circumstance ever, ever. If you want to know what someone has in their pants, the answer is probably smaller secret pants. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, you brought the dad jokes. Uh, I got to give it. my friend Han Kaylee credit for that one because that's – one of my favorite jokes about what's in your pants. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's just a good overall rule. Someone's genitalia is none Not of your business. your business. Yeah, which, you know, that's a common question people get. Which yeah, is, if you feel like you need to know whether they have a penis or a vulva to know how to treat them, maybe you should reevaluate how you decide how to treat people. True, very true. And that is not identifying of gender anyway. So it becomes irrelevant to the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I'm, I'm over here hoping I didn't like fully misrepresent myself with the, the gender expression thing. But yeah, I just, I think admittedly the expression, like if someone is trans, I'm like, that's super easy. I understand that completely, you know, I think it's the expression and just how we gender everything. Like even not in English, obviously, but in other languages, like the romance languages, everything is gendered, you know, a couch is gendered. So Mm -hmm. I just think it's like. It's interesting that we don't gender in that way in our language, but at the same time, everything does have this, like, low-key thing that we associate it with. And it's just hard when someone is saying, I don't want to subscribe to any of it, but at the same time, People I'm expressing place in a certain those way. assumptions yeah. on <laughs> others a lot of the time, yeah. Yeah, and in that way, I guess I totally understand why people want to reject it altogether, because it really is all a bunch of bs anyway because it really doesn't matter what gender you are what gender expression especially what sexual orientation none of it matters as far as how you should be allowed to or able to move through the world and through the society and i love what you said about staying curious staying open to learning thinking wow that's fascinating Mm. i would like to learn more about that one of the best things that i learned in college is that you cannot be in a state of learning and a state of judgment at the same time beautiful and i think it's really true when you make a decision i've decided that this is wrong or dumb or that that's fake you've shut the door to learning anything else about it and i think that learning about other humans and how beautiful and complex the scope of human experience is is one of the coolest things to get to do on this planet yeah I love that I love that so much and if you think about it you're open to I mean I think the majority of people are open to speaking to someone from India about their the food that they eat and what their architecture looks like and what kind of clothes they're wearing and their you know whatever and just like why can't we have the same curiosity and adoration for all expressions of everything in the kaleidoscope of God's creation, including gender and sexuality. It's pretty fun. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think the last thing that would be great to touch on, I hope we've imparted to you that we are both advocates for sex education, that it's crucially important that children are educated. Oh, I think before we get into the last thing, you talk about the age appropriateness of the curriculum because I think that's maybe the last pushback that I've heard. There's one particular woman named uh, the activist mommy who is a crazy pants person that goes on Fox News and yells about things and she yells about sex education existing in general. She's definitely one of those people that believes if you like just let your child know that anal sex exists or if they hear it exists, that they're just going to go experiment with it the moment they leave the house. So she also makes the accusation that if five-year-olds are learning about sex ed in kindergarten or eight-year-olds are learning about sex ed, that you're telling them about how to have sex and what kind of sex acts are available. So is that true? Is that what the L curriculum is presenting to elementary school students? Definitely not. (laughs) Um, There is a kindergarten owl curriculum, and it teaches the names of body parts, and they talk about different kinds of families and what makes a family and different ways that families can come together. Oh, it's so frustrating that even that is controversial. When can we move past all of this? Every kid deserves to know that their family is equally valid. Amen. Yeah. 
And so it's, it's about families and feelings and body parts and a really important lesson on no-go-tell, the steps to take if someone ever uh, touches your body in a way that you don't like. And unfortunately, the sad fact is that entirely too many mm. children are sexually abused by adults in their lives, sometimes family members. And when children don't have the vocabulary to talk about their body parts or have never had a conversation where an adult tells them that you don't have to let anybody touch you if you don't want them to, those children are more susceptible to abuse. Mm. So thinking that children don't need to know the names of their body parts and we don't need to talk about consent and boundaries leaves children more susceptible to being hurt. Oh, yeah, that's terrifying. And that's a really good motivator to convince parents that it's important. I also think that that's another reason parents need to present themselves as a safe space for information on sexuality. Because if you as a parent tense up, you know, and, and again, I empathize. I can only imagine how difficult it is for someone to have traumatic past experiences with sex and don't know how and don't have the tools to talk to their kids about sex for them to not tense up and get all nervous about it. But if you can do that self-work to work through your own issues so you can talk to your kids, it'd be crucially beneficial because if, and unfortunately in a lot of cases, when that happens to your child, they will have the power to come to you and know that you're a safe space to express what happened to them. And like you said, have the vocabulary to explain it and even the understanding of why it was wrong. Yeah. Which brings us to our last topic. Absolutely. Da -da -da -da. Consent. Consent. <laughs> um, it's crazy. Again, as a woman in her 30s, didn't have the word consent um, up until the Me Too movement, I guess. Like, I hadn't heard consent being spoken about at all, ever. Wow. And especially in church. Um, church, unfortunately, has horror stories about sexual abuse because women's bodies are a stumbling block. If you're showing too much skin, if you wore a bikini to the church picnic you cause your brothers to stumble and lust after you. And there's actual videos. You guys can watch this in my modesty video response to girl defined of teenage boys saying, well, if you don't respect yourself, why do I have to respect you? Or why should I? Or teenage boys and girls saying, if you are a stumbling block as a woman to a man and he sins, AKA sexually assaults you, it's both of you that are responsible for that. So that's the opposite of consent, which is what I think a lot of us were taught in evangelical culture, which is terrible and terrifying. That's, that is repulsive to it me. It is repulsive. Um, and also marriage, that you are essentially the property of your husband. And it's said in more flowery terms. It's like wives submit to your husband. And, oh, and by the way, afterthought, like, men you should also respect your wife even more than you respect yourself but that is weaponized so often to be like even if you don't want to have sex you know you really he deserves it because he's your husband so consent in the church non-existent until these recent movements that's terrible and i'm sorry mm -hmm. uh I think that teaching consent education is one of the most important components of sex ed in this day and age. 
everyone deserves autonomy over their body. Uh, as a human being in a body that is yours and no one else's, nothing should ever happen to your body that you don't want to have happen. And you have the right to decide when you do want sex. And I think that a huge part of people's opposition to the idea of consent and to teaching consent is that you have to be allowed to say yes mm. in order to be also able to say no. And that if we don't accept that sex is a thing that some people do because they want to and it's fun and they enjoy it, and that is an acceptable choice for an adult to make. That means that also that person has the right to say no. And if you cannot accept that other people have the right to choose sex, then you are resistant to the idea of teaching people that it's okay to say yes or no. Yeah. I mean, the other horrible thing about it is um, there's a teacher, Lisa Bevere, who I also did another video on. don't mean to be promoting myself, but <laughs> I have a lot of videos on this topic because it really gets to me. But there's so much of a woman's self-worth wrapped in the idea that she is always saying no and that if she consents and says yes, then she's worthless or worthless as one word. And that belies a whole lot of hatred of women yeah. in that attitude because I think that the message it also sends about men, if you really unpack it, that men are these vicious, savage, animalistic creatures who can't possibly control their physical impulses if they see a little too much shoulder, uh -huh. is so horrifyingly insulting to men. Thank you. Yes. I would be appalled if any of the men that I know and love and respect a great deal treated women that way. Everyone yeah. is capable of controlling their physical impulses if you are an able-bodied adult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. And to imply otherwise is inaccurate and dismisses abhorrent behavior on the part of some men with a really disparaging message about men in general and therefore it has to be women's responsibility yeah it's really just a justification for darkness to exist and and thrive and it has in the church for a long time as we've seen from scandals not just in the catholic church but across all denominations um, the other thing that I love about Al, which this brings up for me, is that it's not gendered education. I mean, when I was in school, we literally split up and the girls learned about their periods and the guys went in the other room and learned about boners or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> wait, shouldn't we be in the same room if we're going to be interacting with our bodies statistically, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think that those gendered messages of guys are irrepressible beasts that can't control their impulses and girls are just these flowery little creatures that will submit to sex if they just have to, even though it's not pleasant and they never want it. You know, like... Yeah, gosh. <laughs> what woman <laughs> likes sex? I don't know who that would be. <laughs> You know, meanwhile, almost all my girlfriends are always, like, begging their boyfriends for sex. They're like, please. <laughs> I feel like girls are, like, hornier than boys half the time. I'm gendering things now. Look at me. <laughs> Look at me go. 
But the point being, I think it's also beautiful to imagine that if you allowed your child to receive the Al curriculum, that they're not going to receive stereotypical bullshit messages about who they're supposed to be according to their genitalia. Like, I have a son now. If someone told him, oh, you're not going to be able to control your impulses and that's not your fault, like, oh, my God, get away from my child immediately. And same thing with a girl, like imagining telling a girl, you're not going to like it, but it's just like, why? But anyway, yeah, I just wanted to point out that it's beautiful, that it's a curriculum that doesn't separate the two and that you're all learning together and you're all learning that you are not that different as sexual beings. Yeah, best practices in sex education uh, has really embraced the idea of all genders learning together. Uh, as opposed to boys in one room, girls in another, because that erases the experience of transgender, non-binary, and intersex people. Yeah, by the way, yes. Um, (laughs) And we always make it a point to explain that to our students when we're teaching, uh, and they get it. And I think that there is huge value in recognizing the awkward and uncomfortable questions and doubts and body insecurities that everybody has, kind of levels the playing field yeah Uh, it dispels people of the idea that you know there is secret information that is taboo and forbidden um that girls have or boys have or yeah everybody knows that we're all getting the same information and we want you all to know about human bodies right you're making me remember because I sat into two classes in Topanga and what's the age range of those students? That was a mostly eighth and ninth grade group. So okay. 13, 14 years old. Yeah. It just cracks me up because you would, I would think sex ed, especially comprehensive sex ed being taught at the level that you are, that they would just be like salivating, salivating and like leaning forward in their seats and like dying to know everything about it. And in reality, they're just getting as bored as, you know, no offense to you, but like, you know, it's like, I thought I was a fairly entertaining teacher. That's the thing. You really are. You're like bringing the best of yourself. And I was looking and I was like, oh my God, is this a math class? Like half of them are zoning out. But I actually think that's beautiful and wonderful because of course they're still getting the information, but the point is, it's not salacious to them. It's not the craziest thing ever. And therefore, you know, who knows the statistics or what's the reality, but I would imagine the majority of them aren't running home to, like, look at a porn site because they don't have to fill in any of those gaps. And as a matter of fact, some of it is so, you know, mundane that it's boring them because it's not that it's boring or mundane in presentation, but it's just like, yeah, this is life. This is sexuality, no big deal, like, and at the same time, huge deal, pay attention, and, you know. (laughs) One of my favorite classes to teach that I think we see that reaction in a lot is relationship communication skills. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My partner loves relationship communication. I know communicating. It's always like, oh, didn't we talk about our feelings yesterday? (laughs) It's hugely important that you be able to talk about feelings with someone that you're having feelings and maybe having sex with. Right. And it's really hilarious to me when eighth graders will ask, "What does communication in relationships have to do with having sex?" Wow. 
<laughs> well, yeah, like, I bet you could there. get forty-year-olds to ask you the same question. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it's hugely important to be able to ask for what you want and need, and know that you can say no to things that you don't want, and open up about your feelings and listen to another person's feelings. Yeah, and that's I think how you that's... have great sex. Amen. And that's probably an education. Yeah, that's an education that they must be taking wildly for granted. Whereas someone in my position and from my generation that never knew how to communicate that like there's so many people I know that didn't even know how to get out of a room or get out of someone's bed if they were already in it because they were like, oh, well, I'm already here. I guess I just have to have sex with them. You know, it's and it doesn't even have to be heavy and dark when you impart those stories. But it's just like, that's what a lack of communication breeds. And I think that when you give that information and present those options in a classroom where they're sitting at a desk and they're feeling a little bored, but the info still lands in their brain, mm-hmm. the first time that they've imagined that situation is in a calm stable, rational setting. Mm. And then that information is already in their brain when they are in someone's bed at 2 a.m. years down the line. And they're less likely to panic or to freak out about not knowing what to do or say next because we talked about it in middle school. And you have a little more context for how to deal. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much for this conversation, Melinda, and for the work that you're doing. I appreciate you and the OWL program so very deeply. And I hope that these messages spread and that this podcast will land on the right ears of people that are advocating for change in this way or that might even be afraid of change in this way. I hope we've dispelled some myths and fears that you might have surrounding this kind of education and Yeah. Any final thoughts from you? Uh, This was a ton of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, If any of your listeners are interested, you can check out my company's website at morethansex-ed.org. Not hyphen the word, hyphen the dash. (laughs) Uh, Morethansexed.org is uh, my nonprofit's website. And if you're interested in the Our Whole Lives curriculum through the Unitarian Universalist Association or the United Church of Christ, I don't remember the URL off the top of my head, but you can Google it. Yes, Google is great. They have a Twitter as well. I think Uh, which is how I found you. I'm not very good at Twitter, but sometimes I tweet. (laughs) Me neither, I know. (laughs) Yeah, you can follow More Than Sex Ed on all the social medias. We've got an Instagram, Facebook. We'll take you there. Yeah. (laughs) Do your research. Yeah. Find things out. Yeah, do it. Do it, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We love you all. God bless. Take care.